Hello, everyone. Justin Vakula here. You're listening to the Stoic Philosophy Podcast, practical wisdom for everyday life. Today's episode contains a recorded discussion I had with the host of the television show Road to Reason, a skeptic's guide to the 21st century. I talk about stoicism and its applications to topics like finding meaning in life, suicide, dealing with negative emotions, grief, acceptance, humility, moderation, and death. Visit my website at justinvacula.com, where you can find links to my social media portals and see past content on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, or Stitcher. Support my work by becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon or by making a PayPal donation. See the donate tab on my website. Share, comment, like, subscribe, and leave a review. I really appreciate your support and feedback, which helps me grow my audience and keeps this project going. A bit of housekeeping. I've added a new design to my website at justinvacula.com, a new banner, and I plan to rebrand my podcast with a new name, graphics, and music. Feel free to reach out to volunteer your services or ideas, which will greatly help my efforts. I plan to release new content on Saturdays or Sundays on a weekly basis amidst my busy schedule of juggling a new job, school, exercise, poker play, and much more. Stay tuned for more show guests, including host of the Red Road radio show, Lou Hastings, who will talk about parallels between Native American traditions and Stoicism. Join me October 28th for the NEPA Freethought Society's monthly meeting in Trucksville, Pennsylvania, where we will talk philosophy. Find more information at meetup.com slash NEPA Freethought Society, linked in the show notes. Massimo Piliucci, author of the recent book, How to Be a Stoic, will be the keynote speaker for the Eastern Pennsylvania Philosophical Association Conference at King's College in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Find more information in the show notes. For this conference taking place Saturday, November 4th, 2017 in the Sheehy Farmer Campus Center, third floor. Conference registration starts at 8 o'clock and will continue throughout the day. Now, on to my appearance on Road to Reason. And now we have on Justin Vacula. Uh, welcome, Justin. All right, thank you for having me on. Happy to be here. Glad to have you back. You've been on our show before, and you're always yes. a welcome guest. So, what is Stoicism and why is it important? Yes, yeah, so when I think about, oh, there's some sort of echo. Uh, that may be the speaker in here is feeding back into you. They need to turn down the speaker in here a little bit. So, But go ahead. What is Stoicism and why is it important? Okay. When I think about Stoicism, it's using reason to attain a well-examined life, thinking about such virtues as prudence, humility, being careful in one's life, also having courage to make some difficult decisions, to engage with the world, and to make informed decisions. Okay. And I know that Stoicism has, the modern understanding of that word is very different than its roots. And I was wondering if you talk about how people interpret it. Like if I were to come up and say, oh, that guy kind of has a Stoic position on that. What does that mean now versus what does it historically meant? Right. So in the street knowledge or the street use of the word, the person looks stoic. It can be that the person looks very calm. The person is detached from emotions, that the person may be just as really resolute in their manner. But when we talk about the historical perspective, there's some sort of semblance to that as the person might have a calm demeanor, but rather the person is mindful of their emotions. They're aware of what's going on and they're looking to have insight in order to process what they're feeling, understand what they're thinking rather than acting impulsively and experiencing negative emotions such as being angry, but rather being more productive in our thoughts and feelings. And 
Having gone to your website, justinvacula.com, and listening to some of your podcasts, it's very clear to me um, that you, and, and correct me if I'm misinterpreting any of these titles for you, you as a humanist, an atheist, and skeptic, mm -hmm. see Stoicism as an extremely important part of your life. Is that correct? Right. I've found many benefits from Stoicism and being more accepting of situations around me, understanding what's in and outside of my control, how much control I have. As some people might get really upset when things don't go their way. They have a hard time coping with that. And some situations may be very difficult. But the question is, how are we to deal with these situations effectively? Maybe when we're dealing with difficult people, maybe when things don't work the way that we expected, maybe reducing our expectations in certain circumstances, just being more content with life being happier throughout the days rather than angry, rather than negative, and not catastrophizing, not thinking that the world is going to end just because one element of my life didn't work. We can seek to reevaluate, we can seek to accept what has happened and even have gratitude for the things that are going well in our lives. So I think that this has really benefited me in just having a better quality of life day to day. Well, what you're sounding like is that you're you know, for lack of better terminology, you're saying that Stoicism uh, is kind of, a, could be an alternative to religion for people who are looking for answers in life and having, you know, like when somebody dies in their life or, um, you know, somebody who is struggling with ill health. Uh, a lot of people tend to turn to religion. It sounds like Stoicism has the potential of offering an alternative to that. Is that, is that correct? Maybe with religion, people look for a structure on which to live life, certain values or principles to look to, maybe commandments. And Stoicism, well, it, it can offer many ways in which one can live the life and really question a lot of the things that we do. And we wonder, how can we find meaning in life? How can we be more content with the things that happen around us? How can we be more secure with ourselves? So yes, there could be that idea that there can be a foundation, there could be a groundwork, whereas religions might offer a certain philosophy of life, well, so can Stoicism. But with Stoicism, I think that some advantages are that it's not as, or it's not dogmatic. And oh, well, here are these principles. And even within the Stoic text, there's talk about, well, I, I urge you to question what I'm saying here. And maybe when we gain more information, we can adjust that we're not to be totally um, stuck to what we have learned or what we have observed. There's a certain humility in that, okay, well, maybe we'll get more information in the future. Maybe we'll better understand the world or human nature. Well, it's that word dogmatic that you brought up that I find really mm -hmm. interesting. So it sounds like, you know, with religion, if you're truly an adherent to it, um, you know, I was kind of joking with you in the pre-call interview, but it was kind of half joking. It's like you, you, you can, uh, say, learn to turn the other cheek without also having to practice the stoning the gaze part of, of, mm -hmm. of it. Uh, with stoicism, it seems like you can, uh, you, you don't have to apply a dogmatic position because some book says so. It's like, you know, if you find value in a religion and you're a total adherence to it, um, you know, I think one of the problems with people who are religious that draw the positive references uh, out of their text is they're always living either in contradiction with the other parts or they're more dangerously embracing the bad parts. 
Mm -hmm. And with Stoicism, there's talk of moderation a lot in the text. There's talk about, well, let's understand what we need. Maybe this will work for one person. It won't work for another. It depends on what kind of role you're living in life, where some of the Stoic writers, uh, Epictetus, for instance, he was a slave, whereas Marcus Aurelius, he was an emperor. Seneca was an advisor to Nero. So talk about different kind of lifestyles, different ways that people came from different understandings that they have had where we can talk about certain principles and try to apply them to all kinds of different people whatever roles that they might have in life whatever experiences they have had there's also talk in the text of our experiences in our environment making certain situations difficult for us like dealing with death dealing with trauma there might be more difficult cases for people whereas people might be more resolute maybe their personalities or maybe their environments maybe their situation is easier for them to cope whereas with others it's more difficult when we go back and we look at the roots of stoicism uh, and where it came from it itself comes from a time of religion and superstition uh, and I'm wondering how much was that um, kind of still permeates uh, Stoicism. Yeah, it, it's interesting as there's talk about the metaphysics in Stoicism that there's a creator of the universe, maybe some sort of divine order or logos or logic. There's talk about Zeus and some Greek gods throughout the text. But I think it's more of a, a natural order of things, recognizing that maybe there are some certain regularities in nature, although some passages will go more toward um, offering prayers, things like that. But the modern Stoics have moved away from that and say that, oh, well, we can still have that with being atheists. With We can maybe throw away some of the metaphysics and talk about some laws of nature or some scientific ideas that we have so we can adapt it to the modern times as we can understand that people of centuries of generations ago, they were limited in the information that they had. And maybe with some information today, if we were to bring back Seneca from the dead, well, would his ideas be different with some new discoveries that we've made, some advances in science, some more insight through philosophy? So right. yes, there can be some religious element to it, and we've seen that some religious traditions could take from Stoicism and maybe apply that to their own. We talk about the serenity prayer from Alcoholics Anonymous seems to have some big parallels with Stoicism, this idea of God grant me the courage to, to accept the things that I can't change, right? Uh, there's some parallels there, for instance. Yeah. Well, it's funny because no, no sooner than I started thinking about Marcus Aurelius, somebody put up on the screen, uh, Marcus Aurelius was a fake Stoic. Um, but, you know, I don't know how true that <laughs> is. But, you know, the, the, the problem that I had with Marcus Aurelius is he wrote, he wrote things about talking about equality of men, yet this is a guy who invaded, you know, mass parts of Europe and uh, wound up enslaving and, and conquering. How, how, do, how do you find just, I mean, I know there are lessons that come from early Stoicism, but how do you find the original authors uh, really being able to adhere to their own kind of philosophies and how flawed were they before their own ideologies? Right, yes, there can be some contradictions there as people are victims to the time 
that they're born in as people even point to the founding fathers today oh they were involved with slavery or oh they had these ideas that wouldn't be compatible with the modern society we need to ditch them so maybe it calls for some understanding and okay well maybe the the people wouldn't have such moral progress as we've had today given the time that they were in maybe things they didn't question some changes that they haven't made and we can see those contradictions and i think be all right with that no one's going to be this moral exemplar especially from centuries from decades ago we can always point to those flaws so we could take from it the better things, the good lessons, and acknowledge that, okay, well, we've progressed now, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, I know there's been scientific studies, social scientific studies that have shown that throughout history, we've become, as a species, more and more humane over time. Um, that, you know, as we continue to learn more about us as an animal and the world around us, um, we become less and less, um, you know, obviously we have some technological contradictions to that, like we built atomic weapons and things of that nature, mm -hmm. but the ideas of fairness and justice are something that um, I think have been on an incline um, over centuries. And so I think what you're saying is largely correct. For their time, they had no model prior to that. Uh, to show a better world and for where they were, um, you know, the things they were doing, even as marginally as they might have been, by our standards, were somewhat improving the condition of the world around them, or at least setting the stage to have those thoughts and discussions. Right. So, and, and even within the text, it calls for a lot of tolerance and that we can, we can understand that people will display certain behaviors that we might not like, but remember that they're human like us. There are neighbors where of the same human nature we have that this this idea of um, brotherhood or humanness that we share with other people this cosmopolitan idea where okay well certain people we might not like but we can still tolerate them and if they're that nasty to us if they're not good to us then okay we can reevaluate those connections and maybe focus more on the friendships the relationships that we have there's a lot of talk about friendship in the text especially in Seneca's work that we want to make a careful survey of people and then be enthusiastic with our friendships to really think about the qualities we want and don't just find ourselves wanting the attention and wanting the praise from other people that just being concerned on the people that matter and also being content with ourselves as well well, you talk about uh, praise being put upon us in the age of the internet, man. Uh, there's all sorts of people out there trying to be praised for their, you know, their shock behavior and their going after other people. And I know one of the things you personally um, have dealt with, uh, you know, and I know that you're not alone in this, is that the internet has become a meat grinder for people that. Uh, you know, fall out of favor with one group or another. Um, I don't know, it's like uh, you remove, you know, interpersonal discussions where people will say things over the internet they never say to another person's face. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, if you looked at how stoicism can play a role in bringing back humanism into the, the discourse, uh, especially in the atheist community where people seem to just become so vitriolic towards other people who don't necessarily share a point of view that they have. 
Right. I think an attitude of humility and open-mindedness is called for, whereas we could say, well, maybe what I believe is wrong. Maybe the people who disagree with me aren't these moral monsters who are, are racist or sexist or a lot of these other terms that are just casually thrown around. And indeed, some of the some of the people out there are, but just a simple disagreement on things to write someone off to hurl insults at them. I don't think that's the proper way to go. How about just finding more understanding and thinking what they do and saying, okay, well, there can be some reasonable disagreement on these issues, or maybe they aren't so extreme, right? We, we think that, oh, if there's just a minor disagreement that they happen to be these nasty people, but that's not always the case. It's often not the case. And maybe we could just disengage ourselves from those discussions. If we're going to go into a discussion what is our purpose for having that? Are we looking to gain insight? Are we looking to actually criticize ideas and have that honest back and forth engage? Or are we just looking to win and just be nasty toward others? Well, that doesn't seem to be very productive, right? Yeah, it seems like those thumbs up are, you know, or those likes are what's most important to some people versus uh, advancing the discourse. You know, it's like, how popular am I versus, uh, you know, am I actually at correct? Um, and then there's the whole, well, do I really want to win this other person over? How do I do that? By mocking them, shaming them? Um, I've even heard, you know, there was somebody who recently on our show, they were quoting someone else about this whole idea that, you know, literally this is a school of thought out there that you can control people by shaming them, that, that, that it's not a bad thing. If someone has a bad idea, you know, uh, they can be ridiculed into not having it. And... I don't know that, A, that that's how I want to win arguments, and B, it has no bearing on whether you're actually right or not. And, yeah. uh, and then lastly, it's the same type of philosophy that people use to convince other people that say Jews are an inferior race. Or, you know, it's like if you just mock and you hurt, you know, if you just attack, and you can get enough people to go along with you and silence opposition, that's how you get fascism too. You may actually be right in your position, but the, the tools that, that you're using by shaming and guilting people are no different than the worst possible uh, case scenarios when, you know, those people, because those people don't have good arguments. You know, Jews are not an inferior group of people. But, you know, if you, if you humiliate, harass, and, and uh, degrade people into silence or into a position, as I say, it has no bearing on the truth of the argument. Right. So, Maybe there's some room for satire and some comedy or some mocking if, if done well, right? But right. if you're just looking at throwing people under the bus and being uncharitable, well, then what does that really do? It just creates an echo chamber. It further polarizes these discussions. And often when there's a tragedy, like you mentioned, the shooting, a very tragic event, it, it can be very quick to go on and rail against people. And anyone who disagrees with me is this terrible person, like I've mentioned. But maybe there's an argument to take a step back from that just a little bit and think about what we have in common rather than just focusing on disagreements, even if just right. minor ones, right? There's this thought of uh, purity tests online and that you have to agree with me on all these points or else I'm just not going to talk to you. And that's, that's not really productive, right? Yeah. We're going to have some differences and maybe we can talk about those or at least just focus on the things that we have in common if we can't and the discussions are going to devolve into such nasty places. Well, and I think too, maybe stoicism 
sounds like you can also have a place in helping people find that common ground. Um, you, know, you take the gun control issue, for instance, or well, I don't want to say gun control issue, you take the shooting. You have one side who wants to do gun control, the other side blames the, the lack of God. So one, one's blaming guns, the other's blaming you know, the lack of God. But, but for people who are patient and people who, who, are, who, are, uh, who kind of remove themselves one step, from this discussion, what they find is that both of these groups truly believe that the people who do these things suffer from severe mental issues, and that and then so it seems to me that maybe there's ground for people to come together on supporting mental health reform. Uh, right, that could and, be some. Yeah, and and but we're not going to have that discourse. You know? yeah. We're going to blame each other, you know, for these things until we're at each other's throats. So. Um, and I guess that's a question that I have, is how do you see Stoicism making long-term effective change? Like, what is it that it has to bring to the table that we don't currently see in our, in our political form today that, that could make a real difference? Why are you putting so much energy in this? What do you see as the payoff? Right. Well, the, the idea of self-improvement, improving our mindset, I think is really important is how often do we think about that? How often do we think about maybe how our emotions, our impulsivity, our desires can be a negative thing? Maybe we'll just be on autopilot throughout the day and, oh, this feels good, so I'm going to do it. Or, oh, this is something I've always done, so I'm going to continue to do it. And maybe that's not so great, right? Do people ever take a step back and question themselves and their approaches and think about how can I better my lives? Maybe they just maintain the status quo and continue you're doing what they're doing that maybe when there's some sort of event some sort of crisis we think oh well what i've been doing hasn't been working so maybe i can try something new maybe i can look into what other people are saying about what the good life looks like and how i can make my life better so if we take these steps to improve ourselves perhaps we can help others more we can get more involved in local activism and local events and just by putting information out there and talking about important issues like being content, finding meaning in life, having gratitude, acceptance, a lot of these things that people often don't have these discussions about, right? Talking about these perennial human concerns, I think, is very beneficial to the public discourse and people can have better reactions and have a better quality of life. Yeah. I remember when I was a child and I was in school, I had a teacher that did a social experiment in our class that if it were done today, this teacher would be eviscerated for it. There's no question. But it's something I'm extremely grateful for. She, she picked two topics. One was the issue of gun control. The other was abortion. And she said, you know, I want everyone in the, this room uh, to write down whether they're for or against gun control. I want everyone to write down whether they're for or against abortion. And she made them argue the opposite side of, mm -hmm. of, their, uh, of their kind of professed position on this. And uh, it was really amazing to see, like none of these people I think changed in the long term exactly, you know, like their position, but they were able to humanize the other people. They were able to have discussions and you could see things kind of coming back to the middle and you could see where other people's rationalizations are and that not everybody, it is possible to have two completely rational but opposing points of view. <laughs> And I just think that uh, with what I've been reading on Stoicism, um, that you talk about this thing called acceptance. You know, mm -hmm. acceptance. You know, we talk. I think when we talk traditionally, we talk about it in th 
as in like things of a loss, like somebody dying. But I think it's also important to accept the fact that we live in this diverse world and that, that we're not always going to have things politically go the way we want or we're not going to get everybody to agree with us. How do we make peace in that world? Right. It's just coming to accept that that's a fact of nature. We can try to get out there and try to make change, try, try to influence others, but we can only do so much, right? As ideas won't change overnight, maybe even soon, but yet we can still put out that information and have people question and maybe learn ourselves in the process and modify our views and continually engaging in this process of revision and self-reflection, I think is really good and not to get so downtrodden if people continue to have the ideas that they have. If we find people who disagree with us, uh, perhaps we can just have this attitude, yes, of acceptance and saying, okay, well, yes, there is disagreement on this issue. I can understand why people disagree. And maybe I can focus on some other things on a day-to-day -day basis or focus on the people who do agree with me and maybe form local groups, participate in local events. And that can be a helpful thing to do. Question about what can be a productive way to move on with life rather than maybe being angry, rather than lashing out, being upset and just being resentful and even cynical about the state of things. Before we get into some of the bullet points of stoicism and the things that, that we you feel that it can help people address in life, I'd like to take a moment and just ask you, what is the single biggest change in your life uh, that stoicism has helped you come about uh, achieving? Like, what, what do you feel it's accomplished for you that you want to champion this? Oh, that, that's a that's a big question. I think that it, it's just being able to step back from certain situations and just yeah, think to take that second out to maybe employ some self-talk to remember some phrases from the text and saying, okay, well, maybe things haven't gone the way that I would like. Well, how am I going to deal with this? I really can't change the issue. I just have to accept this and just have a better mindset about things. I mean, there can be a certain point where you're engaging in an activity, a day-to-day -day job. I've even talked about being at the poker table in, in some podcasts, right? And playing this game and just accepting the fact that, okay, I'm not going to win all the time. I'm going to lose. There are going to be some people I come into contact with I might not like. And this is just a reality of the situation that we're, we're going to experience some of these ups and downs in poker and in life, that things won't always work out the way we want. So how can we come to more terms about that rather than getting depressed, rather than being very negative, rather than being really upset and not feeling meaning or contentment in our lives? It's adjusting our mindset to to better cope with things. I think that's a big thing of what stoicism has to offer. And, and I'm assuming too, you know, with that analogy, is it also okay to say that we can choose not to play? Yeah, that's right. I mean, if we find that one element of life is just too much for us, maybe there can be an argument from stepping away from that, although not doing so hastily, but rather just continuing, or rather than engaging in a process of reflection, maybe creating a, a list of pros and cons rather than um, just backing away immediately, making impulsive decisions, thinking, well, is this a situation I want to continue? People report dissatisfaction in their jobs, for instance, but yet they keep on that track rather than looking for new positions. Maybe they just resign. Maybe they feel a sense of helplessness. But we have this idea of options in our lives that we can make choices, whether we have a better mindset about things, whether we just move to a different position. Maybe we can 
disassociate ourselves from family members who happen to be toxic and not feel this great sense of obligation that stoicism is very self-empowering it encourages you to make changes in your life for the better there's even talk about life in general in the stoic texts and talks about death with dignity and suicide that maybe even if we're older in life we're suffering some terminal illness well maybe suicide can be a rational thing what kind of life is worth living so it can be in our power to make these choices talks about if if we're inside of a burning building and the house is burning down maybe it's the time to abandon that or if we're playing a certain game and not having fun with it anymore then maybe we should move away from that and do something else fair enough yeah you know you talk about like moving away from toxic groups of people and this is one of the areas that I feel stoicism has that is beneficial over religion which is that you know if you're tied to a religious support network and, the, and there's a certain dogmatic group of behaviors and positions you must maintain in order to continue receiving support <clears throat> from that community um, I'm not aware of that being necessarily the case with people who take Stoicism as a way of, of having philosophy and finding inner peace and you know, making change. It seems to me there's a lot less uh, landmines for people to trip over uh, in that case. But one of the things I did want to ask you about is anytime something like this, and I know this is as old as Stoicism is, but it, there does seem to be somewhat of a resurgence of you know, this new age kind of thinking and looking for alternatives to religion right now in our society, find, you know, getting answers. Mm -hmm. But with any of this, there's always the potential for abuse. Um, and, right. and I'm wondering if you have seen any, any like cultish behavior from any type of um, Stoic group, Stoicism groups, and, and if you haven't, what would be some warning signs, you know, where someone's on the right path with this versus getting involved with a control group? Right. I think I've had a pretty good experience in dealing with people on the Stoic Philosophy Facebook group, certain pages and blogs. I think it's been good discussion. Um, just talk about, yeah, having that open discussion of what are these values, what are these ideals, what kind of life works for me is if someone steps up and says, oh, this is the way you must live and these are the values you must have and if you don't, you're not a real stoic or you shouldn't be in this community and maybe they're making these these purity tests for being in the community, but rather stoicism, especially as modern author Massimo Piliucci talks about, he sees it as a big tent where many people can come in from different traditions, even religious traditions, and find a home in having some benefit from a lot of the principles that are discussed in the text. So I think that's a very good thing. But if you're going to start saying, oh, well, only Democrats can be in, only Republicans can be in, you must be an atheist, you must be religious, well, that doesn't seem to make for a good community, and that's tremendously limiting. There can be some benefits in having specific groups. Maybe people want their own space. But I think having a Big Ten approach is a really good way to go forward and reach more people rather than alienating and informing these ideological echo chambers. Sure. Have you seen, speaking of echo chambers, have you, been, have you gotten any pushback? And if you have, from who? Yeah. You know, sometimes I, I question uh, people's lifestyles in the podcast and saying, well, maybe the health 
a healthy lifestyle is better for you. Or maybe questioning things that you desire and certain pleasures, maybe that can be a good way forward. Or, or questioning relationships and marriage. There can be a lot of pushback on that too, as now there is a big movement of people who are just having a life of being single and questioning relationships and thinking, well, maybe relationships aren't great for me. I mean, these intimate relationships having significant others, many have come to the conclusion that no, this has actually added a lot of drama and a lot of chaos to my life and maybe it would just be better to be single. And there, there's a lot of shaming language that follows this and oh, well what, you're too good for other people? Oh what, you just can't take someone in? Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard a, a lot of that. There's even a, a movement of people called MGTOW or men going their own way who are on the internet and there's a, a big community of that where yeah. they're saying well no, we're, we're done with relationships, we're done with marriage, we're just going to walk away and do our own thing you know and I, I would suppose even some women are doing that today that they're saying well no I, I don't want to get married I don't you know I just want to have a, a type of career and focus on that rather than focusing on a relationship and being a stay-at-home mom right there there are many people who are making their decisions and maybe diverging from some cultural norms and I think stoicism can give the power for one to do that and say this is a life that I want to live and I'm not so dependent on the approval of others I'm not looking to be flattered. I'm not looking to necessarily fit in to the crowds and the extremes. And maybe what the crowds can say can be dangerous. And just because an idea is popular, well, it doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean that that's the way to live. So you think people who study Stoic philosophy, say someone who does not want to be in a traditional marriage, might give them some tools to articulate how they are happy in life to someone who doesn't understand, like their parents, for instance, who are disappointed that they're not in some long-term marriage. Do you think that being versed in the philosophy of, of, of Stoicism uh, helps equip people to kind of navigate that? Yeah, it's a simple line in Seneca's text. It's to be your own spectator and seek your own applause and wonder what kind of standards and what kind of life do I want to live? How do I find meaning in life? What does the good life look to me? We can think about these topics and wonder and not be so constrained to the choices of others, whereas parents might say, oh, I really want to be a grandmom or you know, I'd really like to see you married. People think that this is the meaning in life to, to have a marriage, to have a relationship, to have a certain job. Oh my. My father was an accountant, so I should be too. Well, maybe people can move away from that path and do what they would like to like what they would like to do, taking power in their own lives and making decisions for themselves rather than just going along with what others have to say. I think that can be a, a big benefit of the philosophy. Right, but what I'm talking about is, you know, you get some stereotypical mother scenario, which is, mm. my poor baby's never going to have grandchildren for <laughs> me, right? Does it help equip that person to sit down and talk and explain to that, that other person? Like, I get what you're saying where there's this, you know, it, it allows them to liberate themselves, but... Mm. Studying what you've studied, are there communication skills or are there, uh, there are points of topic where you can try to get people to relate to why Stoicism is important to you? Um, you know, is, is the camp that you're in, does it help equip people to do that? 
Oh, I see. So one can start from a perspective of understanding and that other people might have different values, different priorities in life. And maybe we can have the conversation with them and say, well, I see that this is something really important to you and maybe get some explanation about why they would want to see this for me. Maybe recognizing that they want the best for you and they think that this is the best kind of life or a good life to live and maybe talk about that and maybe appreciate that they're really concern for you, that they would want to help you. I think that's a good way to start when people give us advice, especially some well-meaning people, not to feel that people are making demands upon us or that that's a negative thing, maybe to just accept that they're doing that. Okay, well, they, they want to help us. This is their way they think is helpful. So maybe to be content with that and to have that communication and saying, well, this is the path that I've taken, here's why and have that back and forth discussion, not getting angry, not just um, moving away from the people just because they happen to have some differences, uh, at least a small difference like that. But if the person were to get too intolerable, then maybe that would be a uh, cue to exit, that kind of thing. That's very humanistic of you. And uh, that leads me to my next question. Why is Stoicism important to the atheist, skeptic, and humanistic community? Um, you know, obviously it is to you because you, you come from and you talk about it in, in your dollar show talk, you know, there's an atheist show talking about that. Right. Why is that so important to you to have that in our community? Yeah, I think that many atheists may have come from religious traditions and after leaving the tr traditions, maybe they're questioning, oh, what kind of life do I want to live? What kind of principles can I have? They see that, well, maybe there are ideas from religion they like, but what kind of maybe identity or what kind of points can they look to now? Where can they find inspiration? Whereas maybe they won't want to look toward theologians or scriptures or certain religious texts but rather find something else that can be helpful for them, that Stoicism offers this idea of self-improvement and progress rather than living in accord with what a deity might want or what a religious tradition might say that we're to take this on faith in some cases, well, that might not be good enough for certain people. So Stoicism taking these virtues, taking these principles and really considering our own lives can help us forge a life that we want to have, especially if leaving a tradition and maybe feeling lost and unsure about which directions to go in life. Well, that's very powerful, Justin, because what you're basically admitting to or, or talking about is something I'll admit to that a lot of people in the atheist community um, don't like to talk about, which is a lot of atheists, people who identify as atheists, uh, have do have voids I mean, after they leave religion. Some people are completely liberated by the entire experience. It's like, I don't have any worries anymore. There's no God, there's no hell. Mm -hmm. You know, when I die, I'm dead and I don't have to worry about anything. But there's other people that, you know, feel a hole and an emptiness. Um, you know, it's like, well, what about my friend who committed suicide? I'm not worried about him going to hell. But he committed suicide, and that's horrible and tragic. And I need, I need, I need meaning in life. I need meaning in his life. Right. Um, you know. So it sounds like stoicism is 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 an alternative. It fills some of the holes um, that religion traditionally seems to to to, claim, to lay claim to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as an alternative, I mean, well, it's not to be necessarily replacing something that we've given up, especially if we considered it wasn't something that was so valuable anymore, but rather a new approach can be the language there that we can look toward all traditions. And maybe people do this, say they leave a Christian background, they look to Hinduism, they look to 
other religious traditions, maybe even Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, and a lot of parallels even between Stoicism and Buddhism and some of these Eastern traditions as well, that maybe it can be a good approach to see what all kinds of traditions have to say and figuring out what makes most sense in your life, what stands up to scrutiny, what can be helpful to you. Like There's this idea not of, oh, we'll just read our books and that's it and close yourself, but rather, oh, look toward all these different traditions, even in Stoic texts. Seneca mentions about competing philosophical schools in his time and mentions Epicurus and says, oh, well, he's had good wisdom too. And well, if we find an idea from someone else, that's common property. And that's something that we can gain some knowledge from. Right. Uh, and I think it's important to make a distinction because, because you find relevance in another philosophy it doesn't it's not an endorsement outright of that philosophy mm. i think that a lot of people think well you know if uh this group over here that i disagree with 99 percent of everything they say if they get this one thing there it's only that one percent uh and it's 100 percent right but because 99 percent of the things they say are wrong i can't embrace that that one percent of what they say and right. i think there's a real danger it's like if it's true then it's true Right, right. Yeah. I mean, even I, I've seen some programs, some recovery programs where people are trying to deal with the drug and alcohol addictions that they've even referenced stoicism. This um, passage from Seneca on the shortness of life that talks about having an appreciation for the fragility of life and that we only have so much time here. So why not make the best of it to do what we can i think that can be some benefit from stoicism as well where maybe in some religious traditions maybe that appreciation might not be there well maybe the purpose of life oh well we're just going to go to heaven in the afterlife so is there really much to worry about since we'll have this eternal life that can be a danger of a religious tradition whereas of course not all believers or adherents will think that but understanding that our life is limited we're finite and as stoic stoic authors would have to say death is is it once we die consciousness is dead in modern terms and right. yeah there's probably no afterlife so why don't we make the most of life as we can and in questioning what kind of life we want to live uh, looking toward values and principles a, a solid foundation that we can put ourselves on can be a very beneficial thing yeah, I've often said, you know, the only life we really have after death is what we leave. And that's why I'm a huge fan of uh, philosophers, people who write, people who, you know, leave archival opinions. Uh, you know, it's, uh, they kind of practice what they preach. You know, they're, they're gone, but their ideas are still there. And in some way, there is kind of life. Uh, you know, as a part of them has survived throughout the ages, and that's one of the things I try to use when I encourage people that are, you know, that that are struggling for meaning in life, which is that, you know, I can't I can't tell you whether there's a great sky daddy you're going to or not. In fact, I think the evidence suggests that most likely not. But that doesn't mean that the part of you can't can't be here for a very long time after, after your physical presence is gone. And there's something beautiful about that, I think. Um, we have about 10 minutes left, or actually about nine minutes left, and I'd like you to talk about um, what you feel uh, Stoicism, like what parts of life Stoicism is best equipped to address. Like for instance, anger, acceptance, suicide, friendship, uh, death, mm -hmm. uh, fear of change, ethics and justice. Um, you know, I'll, I'll let you answer that one second, but the one thing I wanted to say is I noticed, like I've been reading a lot lately about um, prisons, um, and there's, um, 
you know, it's, it's pretty well known that the vast majority of people are prisons. And the thing I keep reading that people in prisons do is they keep giving their problems to God to solve, you know, which is mm -hmm. why I think they keep making the same mistakes over and over that get them back in prison. Um, it seems like stoicism would be a great tool for them to do interpersonal reflection and, you know, make real life cha change. So along that type of thought, like whether it be death, suicide, whatever, what do you, who do you think in our society will benefit the most and what do you think out of those topics is the most pressing for people? Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to pick one, but I think suicide is an important one. As I wrote an essay on this that was published recently and also produced a podcast and that this is a, a pressing matter, that suicide rates are increasing. It's disproportionately males who are committing suicide, women making attempts more often than men, and it's, it's really tragic. There was even the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why, which got a lot of popular attention recently, and there's been a lot more talk about suicide, but for quite a while, it's a topic that people just didn't want to talk about, that there's a stigma surrounding it. And people are thinking, oh, if you talk about this, people are going to be committing suicide more. They're going to be thinking about it. But I think instead, a perspective of having the open discussion will say to people, OK, well, maybe you're not alone in these concerns and maybe we can address some of these concerns that you have in just talking about certain ways that stoicism can deal with suicide and suicidal thoughts is having an attitude that the future might change, that there might be hope, that maybe you're going through a difficult time now, but think back in the past and some hurdles that you've overcome, some times in your life that were really difficult that you thought you might not have been able to get through, but you did, you're here today. Maybe having appreciation for the things that are going well, the sense of gratitude again, and not just focusing on the negative things, right? Life isn't always going to be the way we want it, but what are the good things? And in life, you talked about change as well. Change is a common thing. Thing, but that seems to be a constant in life, that we're going to go from one state in life to another. Maybe we won't have these periods of bliss. There are going to be some more difficult times to deal with. And let's work to accept that and make those transitions the best we can. So maybe some ideas here for people who are considering suicide, people who are depressed. And I, I wouldn't say that stoicism is a substitute for mental health treatment. Certainly seek counseling, some, seek some medical services if you think your situation is very dire. But this is something that you can access and read and reflect upon in addition to therapy. Yeah. Well, I know we talked in our pre-interview too that you know someone who is depressed usually isn't going to be the person that's receptive to rational kind of talk. Um, I think, you know, I, I think there's also, you know, benefit, and I'm not saying you shouldn't try. Um, what I'm saying is a recent experience that I had, one of my best friends, Brian uh, Adams, is, is, died in March of this year. Brian basically drunk himself to death. And, wow. and, and basically said that that's the way he was gonna go out and he made it happen. Um, yeah, it's tragic. It, it is tragic, and uh, it's hor it's horrific because this is like one of the smartest guys I knew. I mean, not not that you know all human life is valuable, but I mean, like you know, some people you just appreciate on a whole different level um, because of of the type of person they are, and he was that type of person. The the part that I the people that I think would benefit the most from stoicism are the people that were left behind who are struggling to try to to understand why and put some meaning on it. And we all got together recently and we're all talking about this guy's life and how we all met him and knew him. Um, and uh, people wanted to put some epithet on, on the meaning of his life. And um, some of it was pretty far out there. It was this, this need to, 
you know, to understand what, what he went through. And I don't think that people were kind of even focused on their own life or their own feelings of, of how they were handling the situation. And I think that's also dangerous. Um, yeah. Yeah. How, how does one deal with the grief and how does one act after these tragedies have happened? It's an interesting thing. Maybe it can draw us to be more mindful of our current situation. Maybe it can connect us with some friends. The memories live on. And yes, maybe there can be a lesson learned. And maybe I don't want to go down this same path. Maybe I can take steps to improve my life now rather than finding myself in the situation. And it's not easy, right? I mean, you can't just give someone a book and say, oh, feel better, right? It's going to right. be a long process, especially if it's patterns throughout one's life, but we can extend compassion to these individuals. We can be available and say, well, if you need to reach out, I'm here for you. I can talk. There are resources, but people who have suicidal thoughts, they might feel really desolate. They might not feel that they have support systems. Maybe they'll even take that for granted in some case, but well, there are a lot of people who care and what kind of impact can it have on the others as well, rather than just withdrawing and not reaching out. I'm sure that those individuals would appreciate it. You know, reach out to me if you're having a difficult time yeah. and let's have a conversation about that. I'm your friend. I can give you that kind of support. I can give you that kind of reassurance. It's a, a good message to share. Yeah, unfortunately, this guy did take it for granted and he was, you know, he was also kind of abusive in the process to all of his friends, which I think was kind of trying to put himself in a place where he where he could kill himself and not feel guilty about it. You know, he's trying to drive yeah. off people. Um, but it seems to me stoicism, too, if, if people practice it for a long period of time, it sounds like they could head off something like suicide without even knowing it, as long as they're reinforcing that with their friends and family. Like, if that's, mm -hmm. as a society, how we start to think. Um, you know, if we start, you know, we, we really are become mindful and thoughtful in, in how we're thinking and how we arrive at decisions. Um, I think that we're in a much better position for our own mental welfare, but I also think we can kind of tell when someone, you know, who thinks like that is starting to slip out of that, start questioning them very early on before they get really heavily into depression, that something is kind of out of phase with them. Right. And a, a very difficult situation as well. I mean, who knows what it must be like. I, I haven't had those kind of thoughts and those experiences, but for some people who are so deep into the depression, so deep into the suicidal thoughts, it must be a very difficult thing. And maybe we can share that with people as well and show some empathy, show some understanding the best we can through maybe reading, through maybe understanding more about these situations. As we see some high profile people, even like Robin Williams and the what the lead singer of Linkin Park, that given all this money, all the status that's still they seem to be unhappy that they ended up committing suicide and how tragic that is yeah. Yeah. no i think you're absolutely right and uh, for our viewers um, want to get more information on uh, your your work here that you're doing around this where should they visit Yes, yeah, so you can go to my website on the screen at justinvacula.com. I have links on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher. There's also Facebook. It's Stoic Philosophy Group on Facebook. That's a really helpful resource. But if you go to my website, you'll find my podcast, and there'll be all the links through that. I'm also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So I, I appreciate the follows and would like to hear from you. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out.
Excellent. And um, we got about a minute left, and so I wanted to thank you for coming back on our show. It's always a pleasure having you on Road to Reason, the Skeptic's Guide to the 21st Century. Um, I'm sure we'll have you back on again. Uh, yeah, thanks for hosting, coordinating the show, and having me on. It was a good discussion and seemed to go by very fast. Very good. Thank you. Good. And for our viewers, um, Phil Torres has just agreed to come back on our show. Um, he should be coming on in about a month, maybe a month and a half, and we're going to be doing an episode of AI. Uh, you know, the real potential dangers and pitfalls, not necessarily the Terminator 2 Judgment Day version of uh, artificial intelligence dangers, but there are some real concerns out there and there's a lack of, of interest, even international conventions. Uh, we're going to be discussing the potential dangers of that and the benefits of it. What What is logical, what is reasonable, and what is not. So make sure to stay tuned to Road to Reason, a Skeptic's Guide to the 21st Century. Thank you. Visit my website at justinvicola.com where you can find links to my social media portals and see past content on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, or Stitcher. Support my work by becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon or by making a PayPal donation. See the donate tab on my website. Share, comment, like, subscribe, and leave a review. I really appreciate your support and feedback, which helps me grow my audience and keeps this project going. You've been listening to the Stoic Philosophy Podcast, practical wisdom for everyday life. Have a great day and stay tuned for more content.